last week when I preached on this passage, when I preached on Ruth 4, if uh, especially you were not here, I wanted to focus on the redemption, because obviously the story of redeeming and of redemption is at the heart of chapter 4 here. I wanted to focus on the redemption that takes place in space and in time amongst the particular people of this story. It is an intimate, it's a personal, it's even, it's even a very small story of, as we saw when we started the book a few weeks ago now, of pain, of loss, and then of these little acts of loyalty and providence and work and mercy that along the way add up to what God is accomplishing here. The story is as small as the conception that God gives to Ruth. It's as small as the infant child that is laid in the lap of Naomi and who takes that child then to her chest. He is her redeemer. He is the recovery. He's the recovery and more of that which had been lost, that which had seemingly been lost and gone forever. It is a tender story of love that swaddles them and it swaddles us as well under the wings of love in the shadow of the almighty God. So you've got this intimate, the smallest thing we can imagine representing being under the care of Almighty God. It's expressed in a few ordinary people, and that is all they knew. Our author knows more than this. We know more than this. They didn't know anything more than what was right in front of them at the time. They didn't know, for example, what is written in Micah. They didn't know about this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among, to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, mind you, Micah was written long after David. We're not talking about David in this particular chapter. Therefore, he shall give himself up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he, this one coming out of Bethlehem, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. They had no idea. They had no idea when, when, when they said to Boaz and to Ruth, may, may those who come forth from your family, may they be people and children of renown. They had no idea what name was going to come forth 
from them. The story is deeply personal. The story is even private. We saw this when we were in uh, chapter three of the story, the quietness of the story, the conversation that Naomi has with Ruth about what she wants her to do that evening. And then the conversation that takes place in the darkness of the threshing floor. Think about this. Think, think about that moment in time. And if you would have said to Boaz and Ruth, this conversation that's taking place, that is taking place under the cover of darkness, that you're being so careful not to let anybody know what's going on in there. 35, well, 3,000 plus years later, 3,000 plus years later, people are going to be knowing about that conversation that took place and talking about it. It is a small, private story, but it simply can't be contained. It just can't stay that way. It is a river that will not stay in the banks in which it finds itself in, uh, in the book of Ruth, in the setting of the time of the judges. It won't be, it won't stay simply part of the folklore of Bethlehem. I'm sure for long it was part of the folklore of Bethlehem, but it simply won't be only that. It will, in fact, become, and this is the way I think I'd like us to think, it will, in fact, become the story of the world. The story of the world is contained in these four short chapters of the book of Ruth. Our author, of course, and the way that he's written this saves the names till the very end, allowing us to enjoy the intimacy of this story before, in the very last word of the prose, as is written, letting us know, and by the way, we're talking about David. We're talking about Israel's king in this story. And at that moment, his readers realize that this isn't, this story isn't only the story of Naomi's redemption, of Ruth's redemption. It is, in fact, the story, as they read that, wait, David comes out of this. It is the story of Israel's redeemer, of Israel's redemption as well. And when we, when Matthew, and now we, when we pick up the story, the genealogy with which the New Testament begins, and we read it and we go in, and I just read that a second ago, I just read that from Ruth chapter 4, and now I'm reading the exact same thing again, we realize, wait a minute, this is not simply the story of Naomi and Ruth's Redeemer and Redemption. This is not simply the story of Israel's Redeemer and Redemption. This, in fact, is the story of the Redeemer. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and the redemption that Jesus Christ has accomplished on behalf of the world. And so today, allowing the intimate specific to have been last week, I want to consider this on the widest angle possible. We need a redeemer. We have a redeemer. And the redeemer is redeemed. And he will complete his redemptive work. We need a redeemer. When we read the story of Ruth from the very beginning of it, we're struck immediately by the fact that 
Ruth and Naomi are in desperate need. They're impoverished. They have experienced the loss of husband without any children. They're homeless. They haven't got any family anymore that is around them. And to put it, and, and we understand that this word can be used in a lot of ways, and it's used in movies and stories in general. But to put it clearly in biblical terms, they need redemption. If anybody needs redemption, this is a picture of two people who have nothing left to themselves. They need redemption. But of course, the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible that goes from the very front of the Bible to the very end of the Bible is that, in fact, every single one of us is in need of redemption. Every single one of us, whether we recognize it or not, is in this same state in and of ourselves and in need of redemption. David is the culmination of our story, the king of Israel, the redeemer of Israel. But how often, how often does David in the Psalms find himself in need of redemption? How often does David find himself destitute, being pursued in the wilderness, finding himself homeless? David experienced death, the loss of his sons, the rebellion of a son against him. And so David is able to identify himself, wrapping himself in a mantle that initially might sound strange to us, knowing that he was the king. But you know how often in the Psalms, David refers to himself as saying, I am poor and needy. Now, when we listen to that, if we think of that as an epitaph, we might think, well, poor and needy, that seems to fit Ruth and Naomi better than you, David, even in your worst, worst circumstances, it would seem to be better applied to them. But in fact, David realizes that no, poor and needy is me. And we need to realize that when it comes to our lives, whatever the circumstances are right now, the reality is that we are equally poor and needy. We are equally dependent upon God if we would be able to see that reality in our lives. The question is, from the book of Ruth, do you realize it? Would you, would you look down on Naomi and Ruth and say, well, I'm not poor and needy like them? Do you realize how poor and needy you are? Uh, it's one of the tourist seasons out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming right now. And, uh, and of course, Danny lives out there not as a not as a longtime resident, but as a now resident, my daughter, for several years in Jackson Hole. And inevitably, what happens around this time of the year is there's an increase in deaths, and sometimes we read about them, because of animal attacks. You know why a lot of those deaths are? Because people get out of their cars and want to take pictures. They get out of their cars and they want to take pictures with the grizzlies, with the moose that are there, with the bison that are there. And Danny has and the other residents who are there will yell at them, get in your car, get in your car now. Danny told me the other day, she was passing by someone who was taking a picture with a bison right in front of them while the bison was pawing at the ground and snorting, looking at them. And she said, get in your car now, right? Don't wait now, you have to get in the car. And here's the reaction, they don't know. 
They don't know the peril of the situation. Somehow it seems that when you're a tourist, you can't be hurt. They don't know the peril of the situation. They don't realize the danger that they're in. Do you know that you are poor and needy? Or are you under the illusion that you are better than that? That you are more than that? That you are more secure than that? That you've been more careful in providing? More careful with your husband and with your sons than perhaps Naomi was? There's another amazing historical reference in this story, and it's the reference that exists in here to Judah and Tamar. Don't turn to it right now. Uh, later today, if you'd like to compare the reference, go back to Genesis 38 and read that story of Judah and Tamar. And just by way of quick summary of it, Tamar is one who is in need of redemption because having married Judah's son, that son dies. And then a second son dies, and a third son won't perform the duties of a redeemer. It's the story of this passage right here, and it parallels kind of the idea that's being developed in Ruth, except for the fact that Genesis 38, I preached on this here years ago, and I think I gave it an R rating when we sent the kids out for that particular sermon. That's a terrible story. <laughs> it's an awful story. It's full of sin and duplicity and and. It's just ugly, and yet, and yet what comes out of this then illicit and awful union between Judah and his daughter-in-law, Tamar, is Perez. Is Perez is a, a child, a redeemer. A redeemer, and Zerah as well, but Perez in particular, a redeemer comes out of this, and God says, I'm going to do it. It's going to be an ugly situation, and I'm going to use this ugly situation, and I'm going to use it to bring forth a child, a son, who will be the redeemer. And then in this story, it gets taken so far that the story of Judah and Tamar and Perez can become a way of blessing. Tamar needs redemption, and for his actions, Judah needs redemption as well. <laughs> and what we see is that Perez is transferred now into a way of blessing people. May your house be like the house of Perez. And you go, whoa, that's, that's really stretching it to take that example and say, and yet God redeems that. It seems impossible. It seems impossible that God would redeem that situation, and yet he does. All of Israel needs a redeemer. And in addition to that, and I'll just say this briefly because I think we've talked about it enough at this point, in addition to all of Israel needing a redeemer, if I can quote Paul from the passage that we read earlier, there's no distinction. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Not only does all Israel need a redeemer, but Ruth needs a redeemer. Moab needs a redeemer. And, of course, if you look at this story, you see that into this story as well, Rahab, the Canaanite, is also part of the whole lineage that takes place here also. Rahab needs a redeemer. Canaan needs a redeemer. The story of the Bible is that all humanity needs a redeemer. Because of our sin, we have been 
cut off. We've been separated, subject to death, with no ultimate name, with no inheritance that belongs to us, with no way to prolong our lives. All humanity is in need of redemption. And the story of the Bible is look for the redemption through the birth of a son, through a redeemer, from the seed of a woman. Look for the redeemer from the seed of a woman. And that's going to take us then from we need a redeemer to we have a redeemer. So in our story, when the child is placed in Naomi's arms, her redemption, at least on an earthly level, her redemption is secured. It is applied to her at that particular time with this child put in her arms. Now he'll have to grow up and become to her a nourisher, a sustainer of her life as we read, a restorer of her life. And a shift in this passage takes place at that exact moment. I think I mentioned it last week. Up until, until this point in the story, Boaz, or the other nameless guy that exists here in chapter 4, Boaz has been known as the Redeemer. He's the one who is the Redeemer. But at the point at which the son is born, when Obed is born and put in Naomi's lap, then the picture changes. And that child is called the Redeemer. This is the one who is now the Redeemer. This is the one who will be to you a restorer and a nourisher of your life. You want to hear that on the big scale? Listen to it like this. The redeeming father has a son born into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, who becomes the redeemer. Got it? The father has a son born of a woman, born under the law, born according to the law, who becomes the redeemer. Redemption and the redeemer in Ruth came out of an impossible situation. It did not look to Naomi that there was any earthly way that any good was going to come out of this. It was hopeless. Put a fork in it. It's done. I'm done. Go back to your parents. She said at the beginning of the book. But for God, all things are possible. And that's what links this story. Back to front. For God, all things are possible. And Naomi has to say amen to that. Because she's holding him in her lap. Holding him against her chest. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. We should not be able to read this story and not feel the story of Jesus all over this. The story of the birth of the Redeemer in an impossible situation. More impossible than this one. Born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law. Redemption is not an idea. Redemption is not a theory. 
Redemption is as real and as tangible as a child in your arms. You guys know I like to write out my sermons. Well, I was sitting uh, the other day at Panera and I was writing out the sermon and I wrote that, I'm not kidding you, I wrote that line, I happened to look up and Molly Kirkland jumped in my arms. <laughs> the Kirklands came over for a visit and Molly jumped up in my arms right at that moment as if God's saying, redemption is as real as a child in your arms and whoa, there is a child in my arms right now. That's how real redemption is. That's what's being made clear in this story. It's not a theory, it's not just an idea, it's not just something that sounds nice. It's a child in your arms. We read Romans 3 earlier, and Paul helps us to see the cost of redemption. Not a theoretical cost of redemption. The cost of redemption is actually the blood of that child. The lifeblood of the child poured out for us. Paul helps us to understand the relationship between the law that shows all of us our need of redemption and faith, which provides the redemption we need by a redeemer who was born under the law. The book of Ruth affirms the role of the law and the redeemer is born according to the law, but it also in doing that helps us to see that redemption is not merely the answer to some difficult legal conundrum. God going, gee, how do I get out of this situation? How do I be just and the justifier at the same time? How do I make this legally make sense? Redemption is that, but is in no way only that. Redemption, and this is what Ruth helps us to see, redemption is profoundly and essentially familial. Redemption is about your family and being brought into a family. How is the redemption in the book of Ruth possible? Now, I know it's possible only and ultimately through God, but how is the redemption in the book of Ruth made possible? The answer is in chapter four. Your daughter-in-law who loves you. How is it humanly possible? Humanly it is possible because that daughter-in-law loved Naomi. Loved Naomi long before she knew about Boaz, long before she could anticipate Obed. Your daughter-in-law loves you. And the reason that daughter-in-law came back to Bethlehem with her instead of returning to her family in Moab is love. That's what redemption is founded on. That's what redemption is about. Theirs and ours as well. Naomi is redeemed because she's loved. You are redeemed because you are loved by the Father and by the Son and by the Holy Spirit. The triune God redeems us not to solve a legal equation but so that we could receive the adoption as sons, so that we can become members of a family like this. Love set upon us from before the foundation of the world. Jesus never held his son or a grandson, and yet his offspring 
are as many as the stars in the sky and the sands of the shore. And when Jesus was born, Zechariah and Simeon and Anna, they understood Jesus being born. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's what he's saying. God has come and God has redeemed us in the birth of this son. Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, they are there in Jerusalem waiting for redemption. That's what they're described as doing. They're waiting for redemption to take place. We need a redeemer. We have a redeemer. And finally, the redeemer is going to complete his work. Last week, when we looked at the passage, we saw what was redeemed in this passage. We noted that the land was redeemed, the family name was redeemed, Ruth, her soul was redeemed, the community of Bethlehem experienced redemption as well, and all things good and sweet and true and lovely and excellent and tender were redeemed. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus and the work that he has accomplished in the world, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and his ascension to the right hand, I kind of go, where's this redemption? Because I kind of look around at the world and say, wow, it's still in bad shape, this world of ours. Death is still present. Famine still happens. Loss of loved ones still happens. Evil and wickedness still abound in the world around us. We groan inwardly. The creation groans. It's waiting for the redemption of our bodies, for the adoption of the children of God. We don't yet see all of the earth giving glory to Jesus, the King and the Redeemer. Redemption has started, but it's not yet completed. It's not yet completed. And that's why we still see these things in the world. Maybe, maybe the book of Ruth provides Israel with a glimmer of hope. It just gives us a little glimmer, a little slice to look at while we groan in this world. A sliver of the holistic redemption that is to be ours. Uh, I'm getting older, apparently. I had a birthday a week and a half ago, and the kids pitched in together for my birthday, and they got me binoculars. Uh, binoculars and three bird-watching books. Uh, you know you've turned a corner when your kids start getting you uh, things like that, sedentary, quiet things to do. Well, actually, I like it. I really like it a lot. And uh, yesterday, Lauren and I were sitting out under the cover of the patio in the rain, just watching birds, and there was robins. You know, I only often use the binoculars for looking at robins because, you know, robins are robins. But in any case, there were two robins there, and I used the binoculars for them. And, and what happens is, you know, you can see them from a distance. You can see lots of things at the same time, but you, you use these binoculars, and all of a sudden I felt like I was in a nature show, like, like a camera looking in closely at something that otherwise I couldn't see anything else. Two robins there. Turns out one's either a mama or a papa robin. I don't know how to tell the difference. And the other is like a teenage robin hopping behind. And like, I suppose, any teenager, teenage robin only wanted one thing, namely to eat. 
So Mama or Papa Robin was there hopping around looking for something to eat, and the minute he she found something, she would feed. The teenagers just turn around and feed. And I got to see it. And when I was looking at everything, and you know, uh, the backyard isn't very big or anything like that, but when I was looking at everything, I couldn't see that. I, I couldn't see that right in front of me, there was a tenderness, a care, a love, a provision, a story, beautiful and wonderful, until I took the binoculars and I put them on and everything else went away and I saw that take place. Maybe, maybe the story of Ruth helps us to do that. This is a grand redemption that is taking place here. Think about this. Let me just say quickly through this. Think about what Jesus does in light of this passage. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you and the meek shall inherit the earth. Boaz was redeeming, I don't know what, a, couple, a little bit of land, maybe a couple of acres of land for Elimelech, Mahlon, and Chilion. Jesus says, I'm giving you the whole earth. It's yours. Boaz raises up the name of Elimelech, Mahlon, and Chilion, preserves their name on that inheritance. Jesus receives as the Redeemer the name that is above every name, and allows that name to be shared with his brothers and sisters and takes our names and puts them in the Lamb's Book of Life. Little scale, big scale to it. In the book of Ruth, we see the redemption of Ruth. One Moabite is saved. In the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we see the salvation of people from every tongue and tribe and kindred and nation being saved. Through Ruth and Boaz, this little community of Bethlehem that is so small, even too small really to be part of Judah, this little community of Bethlehem is blessed through Jesus, Conchahokan, and every other place where the name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed around the entire world is blessed in him, all the families of the earth, and in Jesus, all that is good and beautiful and excellent will conquer all that is not. Maybe what then the book of Ruth helps us to do is to take the grandeur of what God is doing in Jesus, of what Jesus is doing in redemption, and put it down to a scale that says you might, you might not be able to picture all of that, to picture inheriting the earth. What does it mean to inherit the earth? But you may be able to picture this be able to put the binoculars on to see a particular story and then to say, oh wait, I get it. I get it. I've been redeemed. I've been redeemed and I see the blessing of being redeemed in this story and I see the trajectory of being redeemed. Through the loss, by the cross, and then unto the glory which is ours in Christ Jesus. And maybe seeing that which is big on a small scale in this story helps me to say, helps you to say, okay, I'll wait and I'll watch and I'll work under his wings. Knowing that 
as unbelievable as it may seem to me now, he who began a good work in me will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. Knowing that though I can't see him right now, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Believing that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so then, the book of Ruth is about sweet redemption and sweet Jesus. Jesus, thank you for the intimacy of your love. That is so specifically applied to each and every one of us. And that that is not hard for you. And thank you for the great community of which we are a part, for the great inheritance which is to be ours, for the perfection of salvation as we're transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, for the wiping away of all which is sad and all which is lost and death and sorrow. If we can't remember that, if we can't conceive of that, then help us to see it in this small story here. The pervasiveness of your love the transforming nature of it, the sustaining nature of it, and help us then to feast upon you as your people. We pray this in your name. Amen.